Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with the ECS DNA kit by Endocana Health. If you take pride in your canna nerdiness or are just canna curious, this kit empowers you to find more about the best cannabis choices. Right now, you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com using promo code POD25. Your purchase includes the Endo DNA Collection Kit, Endo Decoded Report, personalized cannabinoid and terpene suggestions, and Endo Align products matching in your state. There will also be suggested dosage guidelines and optimum methods for inhalation or usage. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a buy one, get one offer on their Afika Soft Gel lineup. And since I know that many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afika Unwind, created to support health sleep cycles using patented proprietary formulations of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are in your future. Buy one for yourself and get one for a friend at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at the checkout for 25% off your DNA test kit. I was kind of on a mission to help people realize that cannabis is a gateway plant because once you grow a cannabis plant, you want to grow everything else too. And salves and tinctures are the gateway entry to cannabis because it's not intimidating. This is The Cannamom Show, a podcast chronicling the inspiring stories of real women in the emerging cannabis industry. Your host, Joyce Gerber, mom, lawyer, political activist, has been speaking with women from coast to coast and around the world who are leaders in the revolution of cannabis and caregiving, continuing on her mission to lift up the stories of the women creating the cannabis industry by sharing their canna stories with you. So go make yourself a cup of tea or roll yourself a joint, sit back and learn something new about this magical plant on The Cannamom Show with Joyce Gerber. From the Tip O'Neill Studios in North Cambridge, Massachusetts, it's the Cannamom Show. Now here's your host, Joyce Gerber. Welcome back to the Cannamom Show, where we are crushing the stigma around cannabis and caregivers, one can of story at a time. Hey, David, it's good to see you this weekend. We saw each other in person. I can't believe it. It was great. We haven't seen each other in the person person since 2020. I know. You look the same, which is great. You look good. You look great. You look taller, Rick said. So... <laughs> I did not grow, I don't think. <laughs> I don't think. All right. So um, we were at a show this weekend at the Goods Dispensary in Davis Square with our friends Alex and Chris. We recorded the show. It was live for studio audience or uh, dispensary audience, I guess. And those shows will be out in May. We had a nice time and I interviewed them and then they interviewed me. Right. A lot of great content, as they say. And a great place. Right. Great place, the Goods. Yeah, so we are surprised. Again, I've been bringing yep. my friends to dispensaries every week, so a lot of them are like, oh, goodness, this isn't what I thought it would be. Yeah, it seems like it has more of a community feel. We were recording in like a community room where they have kind of hangouts and stuff. The place was colorful. It had a warm vibe. It was not quite like other dispensaries I've been in where it's like you walk through a secret door, you stand in line, you get, and then you walk out a different secret door. So. I enjoyed it. 
I'm glad. Great. And we, it was just a nice event. So visit them if you're in the goods. I know today's being recorded ahead of time, but tomorrow's 420. So they're gearing up for 420 there. No one there is taking the day off. They're all going to be there all day for all your needs. So the goods in uh, Davis Square, check them out. Um, and before I kind of launch in, I want to give a shout out to a Boston Canna education event at Boston University. Mm, my alma mater. I know. Oh, it is? Okay. Yeah. Philosophy. So they're having a cannabis event. Let's look at this. It's a book launch gathering with Dr. Peter Grinspoon, who is a cannabis specialist and author of the Seeing Through the Smoke, a cannabis specialist untangles the truth about marijuana. And he's doing this together with a friend of the show, Dr. Marion McNabb of the Cannabis Center of Excellence. Very good. Getting some education. So for those of you who don't know, Dr. Prince Spoon is a Harvard-trained physician. He spent years researching the effects. I don't know why they use the word marijuana. I'm just changing that. The effects of <laughs> cannabis <laughs> on the human body and mind. And this book, he dives deep into the world of the history, things that we talk about, debunking the myths, its effects, examining the complex legal and social issues surrounding its use. And uh, this event is Tuesday, May 9th at Boston University. So you can meet him, get a signed copy of the book, and maybe educate some of your friends about a deeper part of this cannabis plant. Good to know. Excellent. Good one. Good to know. And I'm going to put that link in the show notes so you can find it. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's see, before we get today. Oh yeah. So we have a father, I mean a father, and we have a son, mother, a mother, son story today with our special segment guest, Peter Glantz and his mom, Gina. Mm -hmm. He's got these great tinctures I've talked about before, Howells. They're in Massachusetts dispensary. So learn more about his journey and how his mom my mom didn't believe me, but how he convinced his mom, this is uh, something she could use. Mm. I think your mom kind of got it. At the end, maybe. Yeah, maybe. She's probably looking down at me. I don't know. Yes. It was a long journey. But, you know, sometimes you have to experience something to explain it to others. So, and I've heard this before. My friend, she was a nurse. Her mother disowned her. She said she was going to cut her out of the will because she was working in cannabis. Oh, no. Well, that your mom was very kind, even if it wasn't her vibe. I feel like mm -hmm. we did record a show together which was great it was it was yeah it was like your last show you did here in our studios the canna the canna nana like probably the last we, time i saw you yes so yeah. it was back in march of 2020 remember march of 2020 people yeah. my mom came to work with me that day and she was my guest because my guest canceled and yeah that, that is pretty special so anyways mothers we need you we love you we're going to talk about it and that is that oh and then we do have a cannabis culture corner do you want to do the music maestro of course i do Culture Corner. So I want to give a shout out to the marvelous Mrs. Maisel season five. This is the season finale. I'm sad to say I have loved it from the very, very first episode. It is a period program set in the late 1950s, early 60s in New York. And it follows a career of an uptown Jewish woman who becomes a stand up comedian. I think it must be based on Joan Rivers, but I just love everything about it. I love the clothes. I love the, like, the way that she talks. I love the fact that they have a Jewish family. I relate to everybody there. It's like hysterical. I'm like, oh, my God, it's like family. So, yeah, it's good. The marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Tony Shalhoub is great as her dad. And her mom in the show is actress Marin Hinkle, who has Massachusetts roots, Joyce. Her, her mom, the actress's mom in real life, is Margaret Hinkle, who was a longtime judge on the Massachusetts Superior Court. How about that? Ah. Look at that, yeah. Dave, tying all the legal <laughs> stuff to cannabis to the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Okay. What a brain that man has. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. 
All right. So that is my shout out. I just love it. So and that is all. So you watch it. You know it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to this new and last season. It feels like it's 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 good that this is the last season because you don't want it to go too long. But it's it's it was everything it was supposed to be. It was funny. It was fresh. It was a little Jewishy humor. They go to the cat skills. Jason Alexander makes an appearance in a few episodes. It's great. It's all great. It's and it's. I did actually think it was going to be done in season three, but I'm glad they came back, and I think it's finishing up strong. So, and the clothes are great. Again, back to the clothes. Yes, so. they are great. All right, <laughs> let's introduce today's guest. Today's guest is a second generation regenerative farmer residing in Southern Humboldt County in Northern California. Her family-run farm, Humboldt's Full Sun Farms, produces high-grade medical cannabis for herself, her family, and California patients respectfully tending to their stunning off-grid location through organic and natural farming methods. Today's guest and her family are passionate about providing cannabis with the core value of sustainability held to the highest degree possible by using environmentally friendly farming methods and respecting the natural rhythms of the plants, animals, and people around them. Humboldt's Full Sun Farms proudly hosts three of the first 270 annual California cultivation licenses, Today's guest also runs an advisory business for large-scale growers to help them become more sustainable and regenerative. She's always striving to help other cultivators succeed. She sits on the board of many nonprofits, as well as being the regenerative cannabis advisor for Sensi Magazine, the formulator for both Hoop Cosmetics and the many award-winning cannabis brand, Cannabis Topical Products. And of course, she's a mom. Please welcome to the Cannamom Show, Wendy Kornberg. Welcome. Thank you for finding time to join us today. Hi, Joyce. Thank you for having me. I just realized I, I kind of gave you an outdated bio. The oh. Sensi Magazine, I haven't done for a while. I was there, a regenerative advisor for a couple of years. That was a couple of years ago. So I don't know how I gave you but an you, outdate you, one. <laughs> you still did it. So again, there's a lot of things yes. that she's been doing to maybe not all at the same time, but she's been part of this industry and she's got a very great history because she grew up in the Humboldt, which is really why I want to begin. So let's see, just... Let's just talk about Humboldt, I guess, for anyone. We talk about a little bit. What is Humboldt? What are you, what's different about other parts of the country? And what was your life there like as a child? Oh, gosh. So Humboldt County is uh, up in Northern California. We're up in the Redwoods on the Lost Coast. So if you want to come visit Humboldt County, you're basically going to fly into the Bay Area and then drive about four hours to get here. You can fly into Eureka Arcata Airport, but it's kind of hit or miss. It's very expensive, and we often have fog, so a lot of times people end up going to the Bay Area anyway, okay? Because that's where you get rerouted to. So we're we're kind of up in the middle of nowhere, about what four hours from the Oregon border and four hours from San Francisco. So okay, so uh, tiny location. Yeah, and uh, we've talked about it. It's sort of mystical. The people grow cannabis up there. It's got a whole mm-hmm. vibe. I can't wait to visit. It, but but you grew up there. Yeah, I did. All right, so let's talk about like how did you. How did you end up there and what was it like and how what was your relationship to cannabis during that time period? Yeah, so my parents moved here in 1977, early yeah. in 77. I was born in 76, so I was about six months old when they ended up moving from eastern Washington to northern California. Okay. And they had a couple friends that came and bought property on a tiny little place called China Creek, which is a little area of a little kind of watershed of southern Humboldt County. And they fell in love with it and they started looking for property and they bought some raw acreage and built a little cabin that I then grew up on in, I should say, and and then proceeded to build a much bigger house later on in life. But cannabis was just kind of always part of the garden. 
And I say garden, but people are like, it was about an acre. So it included like apple trees and grapes and then about a half an acre of vegetables, fruits, and some weed mixed in there. Again, like it's kind of like what I hear now with the moms who are talking against the next generation. But, you know, they talk about growing in the, literally the, the book my friend wrote, What Grows in Grandma's Garden. Just, yeah. you know, this idea that just another plant and you treat her like another plant. So that's how you grow up with the plant. Yeah, it's funny. It's come full circle. Yeah, like that's that's how it was, even though it wasn't really kosher back then. And then, of course, there were the larger kind of cultivation areas that were not grown on your property that that this was more just for personal use and things. Yeah. And, and, I, and I, have, I, have, I have interviewed women who have been out there who like their children, they were in danger. I mean, like real danger. Yeah. Like, did you ever have did you have that kind of experience in your childhood? You're just growing it in small enough batches. Mm-hmm. No, it it was small enough in our garden that it was it went unnoticed. But okay. the, but it didn't really matter because Humboldt County back in the day uh, was very heavily funded by the DEA, the Sheriff's Department and federal funds as well that were very anti-marijuana. And it was called CAMP. It was the Campaign Against Marijuana Planters or Plantations or fill in the blank. I don't know what the official title was. We all just kind of went, oh, CAMP. And CAMP was a real bad deal for home centers, for people. I mean, honestly, it was a real bad deal for everybody. When we come right down to it, it created a lot of stigma. It, it perpetuated a lot of really antagonistic vibes between the police and the people who lived here, between the hippies and the loggers, the rednecks and the environmentalists. I mean, it just there was division everywhere. And a big part of it was because there was constant patrolling being done. If you got pulled over, it was like, I don't think I got pulled over and just got a ticket and got to leave within an hour ever when I was a teenager. They got you out of the car and it was stand here, do this field sobriety test. Like what's in your car? They'd walk around it with flashlights. They'd be looking in. They'd be like, I want to see what's in your gas cap cover. I'm like, what could possibly be in there? I don't even understand. And uh, that, was, that was your lived experience as, and she's the young, oh, white, yeah. you're a young white, white person walking around yeah. this area. And because it was a federal agency patrolling just for cannabis, is that what they were looking <laughs> for? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they were. Yeah, they would be looking for cannabis, and they they say, "How much weed do you have in the car? How much marijuana are you carrying with you?" And it was just like, "I don't have any with me." And as a teenager, it was prolific in Humboldt County, so everybody sure. consumed. Sure. So we always smelled like it. So they always wanted, you know. And then it was like, if they couldn't find cannabis, they'd be like, "Well, how much money is in your car?" I'm just like, "Wow, Jesus, Manis!" Like, dude, so, okay, so what was the, so what was what was the conversation with your parents? What did they say to you? What kind of things were like? Uh, was this a, was oh, this a you, conversation what was yeah 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 you don't tell people about this okay you, you okay. do not tell people about this this was a and my dad is a contractor and he did build these amazing hippie mansions there was a an architect that specifically drew these just beautiful beautiful open spaces with tons of wood and i mean they were absolutely insane houses and back then because the cannabis economy was so good because it was still in complete prohibition people were able to build really nice hippie mansions. And my dad was one of the people they contracted to do that. So he made good money as a legitimate contractor. But, you know, everybody also grew cannabis. And it was something that you knew everybody was doing, but nobody talked about it. So like when I went to college and people would be like, oh, what do your parents do? I remember like every time I'd be like, my dad's a contractor. I'm like, you just don't ask people that. But you don't ask people what they do. Like, who asks people these types of questions? Oh, my gosh. And right. I, I, I'm like, oh, no, that was just how I grew up. That's like, you didn't ask people because we all knew what you did. And nobody wanted to know what you said you did because we all knew you didn't actually do that. And 
<laughs> All right. So this, I got to say, I've talked to different people from the region. I've done, like, I haven't talked to anyone who's like really grown up in it the way you have sort of in the, like I've talked on the other side, like people were like hiding it from their kids and their kids were, t- I've talked to them that, that level, yeah. but the idea that you're just like a regular person growing up in your community and you had to, this culture, you had to absorb this culture about cannabis and the place where it was grown the most was a place where they were like, it was the two extremes, like not functioning in any way, shape or form together. That's craziness. Oh my God. It's- All right. Yeah, we had we had a local um, we had a local radio show called uh, Homegrown Tomatoes, mm-hmm. and it was like a serious wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I've got a problem with my tomato plants, <laughs> and then and you get advice on the radio about what to do about your tomato plant that you were having a problem with. <laughs> oh my god! All right, so that was your story. Did you stay there your whole life? How did you? How long were you living in Humboldt County? And was it our transition point where you needed to leave? Was something happened there? So, yeah, I was here until, oh gosh, when did I, I transferred, I actually went to the local junior college. Uh, my parents okay. were in the midst of, of getting a divorce and it was, I don't know, things were just complicated. So yeah. I went to college of the Redwoods for a couple of years, kind of trying to figure things out, figure out what I wanted to do and not spend thousands of thousands of dollars at a four-year institution while I had no idea exactly what I wanted to do. Right. Um, and then I transitioned to or transferred down to UC Santa Barbara. I was mm-hmm. there for about two years and just kind of, again, during my parents' divorce, I felt bad about asking for them to help support me through college. So I was trying to work and everything just got to be too much. And I had a good friend who lived in Hawaii and she was getting married. So I was about a, a semester away from graduating and I literally ditched college and went and ran away to Hawaii and lived there for four years before I came back. <laughs> wow. So, wait, so did your parents run away to Humboldt County? Were you doing what they did or were you doing something different? I, I started growing. Yeah, I started a gorilla grow when I was, I think, well, my very first grow ever was when I was 13. And I just liked, I liked being in the garden with my mom. I was always down there. And we had a drawer and there was like cannabis seeds in there. And I knew what they were. And I was like, oh, I've never grown this plant before. Like, you know, we're at that age that everybody's trying it. And I knew people were kind of buying it. And I knew it was around. And I was like, I want to grow these seeds. So I had these little four inch cups and I put them on my back deck where generally none of my family ever walked by because it was kind of on the backside of the house. And I put these little seeds in and I tended them and I started them in August and they got done in October and they were about two inches high. And I didn't know the difference between male and female. So they were just like full of seeds. And I was like, huh, well, that was not what I expected, but this is fascinating. And they were all so different. And I was like, I love this. This so is that was a So that, did you understand that there was a male and female plant before that? Oh, was no. that, that was, oh so you learned if, so no. you sort of like you got into growing. Uh, let's look back to Hawaii, though. But So you learned how to grow. Yeah. It so this is just a thing that. OK. All right. So you go to Kauai. What happens in 2000? What happened when you get there? Will you, something happened to you? And how was your relationship to cannabis changed there? Yeah. In Maui, I I didn't really. So I had actually had endometriosis for about nine years undiagnosed. And it got worse and worse and worse and worse. And so over my course of time in Hawaii, cannabis was really hard to come by. Like it was just near impossible. So anytime I was coming home, because I was also working right beyond the river, which was this massive concert, the biggest reggae concert on the West Coast at the time. And I was running hospitality for the performers and the staff. So I'd fly home every summer and do my part of this event and then fly back to Hawaii with my pockets stuffed full of cannabis. Like my suitcase absolutely reeked. I can't believe I didn't get caught, honestly. Like of all the things that I've done, that's what should have gotten me busted. But somehow I always made it through. 
I, I mean, the idea that you, but that you grew up in a community where they were like sniffing you and looking in your gas cap yeah. and you got in a plane yeah. and you flew across the ocean and you brought it with you. That's, I don't even Unintentionally that. though, that's the funniest part. It was always unintentional because I'd be working so hard. I'd work like 18 hour days and people would just like hand me weed all the time and I would shove it in my pockets and then I'd take my clothes off. I'd put in my suitcase. I'd totally forget. And I'd get back to Hawaii and I'd open my suitcase. I'm like, oh my gosh, that smells so intense. And every single pocket was full of, of weed. And right, so, so I'd, like, you became a transporter without knowing it. All right. So you're bringing well, your you're coming back to camp, and then you're like, so you're so this cannabis you're using for your own medical, you're helping people. Yeah. What is what is your really okay? It it was just for me personally, um, okay. and at that point, I didn't really understand either that I was using it medically. It was just like I knew that when I was feeling certain ways, it would help, so I would utilize it. So then, at some point in my when I was over there, I had what's called an endometriomal rupture, which means that my endometriosis basically like exploded in my abdomen, and it was. In t- insanely painful like to, I, I went to the emergency room they and how, how old are you then how old are you i would have been in my uh mid-20s so i think i was around 24 25 That's scary to happen at 24 yeah okay yeah yeah i i thought it was like i was like i actually had an out-of-body moment where it was so painful that i went i was outside of my body looking at myself making these bizarre noises and writhing and i was like oh this is not going well for years yeah, Hawaii is not known for wonderful medical uh, procedures. So I ended up self-diagnosing. I, in the ER, they really didn't do anything for me. They were just like, oh, what, we think maybe it's a ovarian cyst. And I'm like, yeah, that's called ovulation that happens every month. Trust me, that was not what this was. And uh, I went home, and I created this crazy matrix of all the possible symptoms that women go through and all the possible diseases that correlate with. And I made all these little boxes. And I was like, oh, look, I have endometriosis. I got it. So I went back to my provider with this matrix and I said, this is what I have. How is it that I've done dealt with this with nine years without ever being diagnosed? Yeah. At that point, they were like, okay, here's how we're going to deal with it. We're putting you on continuous birth control pills, which made me literally insane. Like I would go through these mood swings that were bipolar, like in the extreme within five minutes, completely manic to completely depressed to completely angry and back to manic again. And I was like, this is not all right. So I tried that for six months. They switched me to a different prescription, which made me gain weight terribly and be really depressed. So at that point, I was like, okay, I went back and they're like, well, now we want to give you these hormonal treatments, which is actually Danzol was one of them. And I can't remember the other one, but it's what they use for chemical castration nowadays for people. So for sex offenders, things. I'm like, oh, that sounds great. The side effects were that you can have your genitalia look more like male genitalia. You can have your voice drop. You can have a Adam's apple end up protruding. You could end up with hair on your chest and in other places that men get hair. And none of that is reversible. So I was like, these are not my good options. I don't like that. So I went to Eastern medicine and I tried chiropractic services and I tried acupuncture and I tried acupressure and I tried Chinese herbal medicine. I just, I kind of ran the gamut of what I could do in Hawaii while I had a standing prescription for Vicodin. So anytime I wanted opiates, I could go in and say, I need opiates and they would give me this massive bottle of it, which I hated. I was like, they made me itchy and uncomfortable. And I was like, why is there no other options for me? This is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So one of these times when I was home, I was talking with my sister and she said, we have Proposition 215 in full effect. I have a medical doctor. Like, why don't you come and see my cannabis doctor and get a prescription? So this and is like 2000. I can't wait. Sorry. So when this is like 2003, mm-hmm. what year was this? This is like, when did 215 pass or? 
That's a while ago. 15 passed in, in 1995, actually. 95, okay. So uh-huh. did something else happen in but, 2015? Yeah. I mean, 2003? I forget. Okay, yeah. I'm sure, but I don't know why. Okay, okay, okay. So, okay, so, well, so, so it's been so, an effect. And what, and what year are you actually talking about? Like right now, like how old are you? Like, well, this or, would have been around 2003, 2004. Oh, so maybe this is what happened. Okay, so I wrote. So 2003, yeah. this is actually, so the, the bill passed into 1990s and you're actually accessing it. Okay, so you're getting it. Yeah. Decide, yes. This is something you so want I'm to try. Sorry, got my facts backwards. Years. Yeah, no, no, it's totally yeah. fine. Um, it's confusing because yeah. everybody's like, how was medical marijuana legal in California in 1995? It wasn't really accepted yet. And it, it was a very quiet, I mean, it was a big passing and it was a big deal, but they were still raiding clubs. They were still, camp was still in full effect. They were still raiding fields and arresting people and busting into houses. Like it wasn't really legal at all. It was just that you might have a leg to stand on if you could fight them in court, really. And you had doctor's prescriptions. So now you had a little bit more leeway if you got stopped by the police to say like, this is a prescription. But they would never ask you that. So like I actually got... Um, pulled over when I had after I'd moved back from Hawaii and I was working doing trimming for some friends and I was driving back from their house to my house and I got pulled over and they did the same thing they've always done they walked around my car with the flashlight they asked me what was in it they asked me what was under my spare tire how much money did I have tried to tried to trick me with weird questions like oh I really like that little turtle sticker on your I just bought this truck like two weeks before this I like that little turtle sticker like when did you put that on there I'm like I didn't I just bought this truck like I I didn't, you know, well, what's under the spare tire? I said, honestly, I just bought the truck. I don't know what's under the spare tire. I haven't lifted it up. I haven't got a flat yet. And uh, and then they started saying, are you under the care of a doctor? And I was like, no. I mean, what does that even mean? And he said, okay, well, are you under the influence of any prescription medications? And my brain obviously went to like the Viking. And I said, well, not, not, no, I'm not. I don't, not right now. I mean, I started getting totally stumbly because I was like, I don't right. know what's happening here. And uh, eventually... He came around to like asking me what was in my purse. And like, I was like, I have no. And then I realized that, oh yeah, I reek like marijuana because I've been trimming all day. So, and finally he said something about the smell. Well, you really smell like marijuana. And I said, oh, well, yeah, I have a prescription from my doctor. And, but I haven't used any in a couple hours, at least. And maybe it's been longer than that. And then he said, oh, well, what's your prescription say? And I said, it says that I have prescription for medical marijuana and I can use it. And he said, oh, well, wouldn't it be nice if they gave us doses like regular medication? And I said, oh, well, I have the standing prescription for Vicodin as well. And that says take as needed. So it's pretty much the same thing. And uh, it's funny, you didn't question me at all about the opiates. Like, And they didn't arrest you for being a smart aleck? Well, at that point, it had been 45 minutes on the side of the road, in dark, in the middle of Humboldt County, in a very rural area, and uh, with nobody driving by. And I was just like, this is like wild. Well, I, this is crazy. All and right. Uh, all right. So, so finally, anyway, so we're only, we're only in 2003. So, we're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 2003, yeah. things are pretty bad. Like, I mean, that's pretty dangerous. I mean, just telling me that story made me a little anxious. So the idea that you're a young yeah. woman driving by yourself and you're being pulled over because you smell like a plant, that's very frustrating yeah. and upsetting. All right. So so you're back in California. And then how, were you using it like as a, were you finding other ways to use it at this point besides consuming it? Oh, like yeah. Smoking it? yeah. So how are you consuming cannabis yeah. and how are you using it for your own health and wellness? Yeah. At that point. So when I first got my prescription, I was actually still in Hawaii. And my doctor was like, here's how I want you to use this. I don't want you to just smoke it. Like, that's great and that's helpful. But, you know, we're finding more and more about these other cannabinoids are starting to realize are really medicinally valuable. So I want you to start juicing it. And I was like, right. 
he's like, I want you to choose five green leaves every single day. I'm like, I, that's not even feasibly possible at all. I live in a state where there's, there's no way. And so then he was like, okay, well, if you can't do that, then like make a tincture and then bring these tinctures back. And like, maybe you can work it with that. And I'm like, okay. And so I started making tinctures and salves. And I realized that with the endometriosis specifically, when the cramp, the cramps were debilitating. Like, let's be really clear. I would have to call off of work for three to five days every single month because I could not move. It was so painful. So what I realized was like the smoky help, but the salves and the tinctures actually did better. And they were easier to get back over there. But very quickly, I realized that actually the juicing was really great as well. And there were so many options if I wasn't in Hawaii. So I ended up moving back to California. And specifically, a large part of that was because it was more accessible in California. I could grow my plants. I could have my own grow. And so I realized really quickly that I'm like, oh, and I love doing this too. This is a mix of like gardening and chemistry. So this is amazing. At this point, there was all kinds of science that was just starting to come out about cannabis and its medicinal qualities and the chemical makeup of it. And it was just, it was fascinating. So did you, so so did you go, did you go from Hawaii really, back to Northern California? Did you go right back to the Humboldt area? Is that where you went? Yep. Okay. So she goes back home, which is actually, this is actually a, segue, a good segue for our special segment guest because you are sort of putting out that the idea of what my next guest wants to talk about is the power of these tinctures for medicinal reasoning. So we got a lot more on the other side. So 2005 and beyond with our guest, Wendy Kornberg, up in Humboldt County. We're going to be back with her after we speak with our special segment guest and his mom, Peter Glantz of Howell's Tinctures, and his mom, Gina. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you for having us. Welcome, Gina. So um, before we talk to your mom about your products, let's just talk quickly about what Howell's tinctures are and how they came to be in five minutes or less. And then we're going to talk to how you, again, I talked about my own mom at the beginning of the show, how you work with your mom or help her find some relief through your tinctures and how she's influencing her friends and family and helping to heal another generation. So go. Um, yeah, well, I, uh, I, 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 I started, well, it started because I have a degenerative eye condition. And uh, in 2012, I had a, a, a surgery that kind of went sideways. So afterward, I had a pain in my eyes that would be, it would come and, and go into unexpected times, impacted my ability to work. I, I used to uh, direct touring concerts and produce music festivals where I had to be focused and able to, in two weeks, work with the band and with the tech and with insurance agencies and agents and be present. And so a sudden pain in my eyes that did not, I made it, you know, that almost, uh, impossible to, to be effective and, and successful, which made me worried about being able to take care of my family. Right. So anxiety really started to, to come in. And a friend of mine suggested uh, cannabis. And, and well, so you are, if you were a music person, what was your relationship with cannabis before this? And what did you know about it or understand about it? Well, I, I knew it as a, I, yeah, I mean, I smoked it. I had, I was, I had parties and I'm, yeah, music industry, there's plenty of weed around and, and people, one of the benefits uh, of cannabis is, is, is certain issues to be enhancing music and also creativity. And uh, it's, a, it's the long history of its use in music. And so I, my relationship to it, however, was that I, I had stopped using it at that point because I, I, I lived in Rhode Island, but I went to uh, California to work okay. for on these shows. And every year I'd go out and it was just getting, you know, I'd go to a party 
And yeah, it was with music people. They had the best and the strongest weed and the joint would be passed around. And that one year I, I took a hit and just, it, it became, it was too strong. Okay. It'd become, every year it felt like it was exponentially more potent. And, and so I, and since I didn't smoke all Roland already, it made me kind of uncomfortable and I, I decided to stop. So I, I hadn't smoked it for, for several years. So when my friend suggested it, I thought, well, maybe it'll be fun. Maybe it'll help with the pain, but can I really be like, is it really going to do what I'm looking for to help, right. help me get back to work and be with my family and all and that. And so the same friend suggested, when I said that, he said, why don't you make a tincture? And, did, you even, and I, did you even know what a tincture was? Like when I first started, yeah. I was like, what is a tincture? <laughs> what? I know. Well, that's the weird thing is I did because I'd been oh. making tinctures and, and oh. infused oils from my other Okay. Because I, I had, yeah, uh, I had a food and, and food and medicine and then tinctures and plant medicine was something that I had already been engaged with. So that's why when I, for about you know, 10 years or, uh, or so, so when my friend suggested it, that's, it was like a click. It was like, oh yeah, this is, it's just a plant. Right. I, I can just make a tincture. And then, and that, and then through that process. And so I made it and then I, and what made it really work for me was that was that first and simple. I can just drop it in my mouth. You know, there's right. no smoke, there's no no equipment. But also, it, it was really that I could control it. So I I could. So how would you? So I do. So did you know how to dose the THC? Were you like, is that something? Did you know how to test that? Like, how did you figure out how much you actual? Like, I used to think about this, the brownies, the old school brownies. Like, oh, yeah. people had no idea. Like, how many milligrams were they taking? God knows. But like, were you able to test this before you tried it on yourself? Not, no, no, that's the, that's the thing that's great about the tincture is that, you know, I made it. And, and then the first thing I did was take like one drop and one drop was not very, I, very mild to, to no effect. And so then I, I just increased it a little bit and that's still how people find their dose now. Right. So I, I just, I found the right amount that relieved my symptoms. It, it, it made it so the pain wasn't, so I still knew it was there. But it just, it became gentler and my, my, it, and I shifted my relationship to it. I just was like, oh, that's something that's not going away. But I said, I mean, I should focus on those other things in my life that are good. And it allowed me to, it shifted, it shifted my reaction to it. And so that it's in that pain. And that was a huge benefit. So I started, I actually was like, I made it. And when I was in LA, I was working on this show. And I, another part of it, frankly, was discreet. I was in the music industry, but I was right. the like leader of this show and I mm -hmm. professional and, and and felt some stigma about the whole thing. So yeah. being able to just put it in a drink, in a mug and, and have it, you know, keep me where I needed to be and be able to work. And the show was very successful. I really boosted my confidence made it continue. And so I came back to Rhode Island and I connected with a co-op here that at the time was the way to access it. I became a patient in Rhode Island. And what, what year was that in Rhode Island? Where did you come that back? was 2012. It was, I that was all, this was really early. It's still really early. Yeah, yeah. my surgery was early and then was working, then, then came back. So like December of 2012, I, 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 I started with the co-op and I actually like four other patients asked if they could have some when they heard I was making it. So I, 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 and they asked if they could have some extra. So I, 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 I bottled it and, and made a label and, and, and got it tested because it was for patients, you know, it's a severe condition. Right. I was concerned. I want to make sure they could trust it. Like how, how to use it was part of it too. And exactly. So, right, right, right. Right. So I gave it to them and, and I went on my way and it was really only about a month later, I started getting messages like, Hey, what's going on? When can I get more? 
And even at that time, I kind of dismissed it. Like, mm, what, and like this is people just want to get high. This isn't really maybe helping me. But then, but then I went into the co-op and this woman who had a walker, she was like, she looked at me and she like threw the walker away. And she looked and she started dancing around the room. And she's like, I cleaned my house yesterday for the first time in two years. Like I rely on this, like, and I had a tiny bit left, like when, is, when can I get more? And, and that was really like that began just like, began a mission just to make this available for people to everyone who can benefit and make that, it continuously available. It consistent and work. Oh, that's awesome. All right. So we have a lot of years between 2012 and 2023, but how did you get your mom involved? Gina, welcome. And uh, what was her reaction to it? Like, what did she think of this? And how did you convince her that this is something that would benefit her too? Well, the, it started because I had been, I had, I, I was, I didn't tell her. I didn't tell my parents uh, for many years. I was, I, 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 I didn't even, I was nervous about that. We, it wasn't something we talked about growing up. And, and so I, but then uh, in doing this and I eventually I was in, in dispensary in Rhode Island and I, and I started meeting more in the patient community. So many people relied on Howells, which is what Tinctures I make is called. They were, they were people who were older with aches and pains, maybe need help sleeping or anxiety, but a lot of it was with just so many people who, who, who were, looking for a solution, just like, like Wendy said, that wasn't an opioid, that wasn't something that was pharmaceutical. And so, and so, and I, my parents, they were, they were a similar age and, and I heard about similar aches and pains. And I, and so, and I overcame my fear of telling them and I, I told them about it in generally, general as I, and just about that I was doing it. And then, and then I think, I, I guess I, I, I owed to my mom to talk about how, how it came to be. Cause I don't, I was, I think just, I, I don't remember exactly. I feel like maybe you, you asked. Well, well, welcome, well, welcome Gina. And like, what did you think when your son said he was doing this? My mother thought I may be in a drug cartel. So that's my joke. But how did you feel? <laughs> well, I, I, I don't remember feeling upset about it. Okay. After all, I was a child of the 60s. True. So I had some experience many decades ago, but fast forward, when Peter told me about it, he had always, he was like an adventure. Every week he was doing something different. And now he had decided that there was something he wanted to build and do. And I think I was more focused on that. Okay. I was particularly on the product, though I will admit I told very few people about it at the beginning. And now I tell everybody. I tell everybody because... And you're coming on a podcast to share your experience. So what was the first product you got you to try and what did you think would happen, I guess? And what actually did you experience? It, I had trouble sleeping. Okay, that's a big one. H tend to do that. And so Peter gave me a bottle. I think it was the Anytime at the time. I don't know if there was nighttime howls at the time. And it sat on my dresser for a couple of months. Yeah, I found all the products I gave my mother sitting on her dress, so all of them. I mean, how, what could go wrong? I was going to take it at night. I was gonna, so my experience has been that I realized it seemed to be helping. I thought, was it just because it was Peter's product, so I wanted it to work? or was So it did you journal? Did he recommend that you journal to sort of like keep track of how you were feeling or experiencing? Oh, I, I didn't no. do any of that. I just began to take it and... What I realized was I had to find the best times for me to take it, mm-hmm. right? There are instructions to not eat, and then it you know, takes an hour to kick in. And I would just take it before I went to sleep, but 
believe it or not, what I have discovered is because when you're my age, you tend to get up a couple of times in the middle of the night, that the first time I wake up in the middle of the night, I take it. And what I recently told Peter was that I wear a Fitbit and I am not sure I sleep longer, but I sleep more deeply. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. pretty clear from what my Fitbit is saying. That's interesting. Oh, yes. so you have, you have actual data. Oh, yeah. I don't use a Fitbit. I don't want to know anything, but that's interesting. You can actually track that. Huh. Right. And and so now I am a regular user and I have grown over the years from proselytizing about Howells because it was Peter, right? It, it was my son. My boy. Yeah, I get it. I <laughs> proselytize about the product and... So, okay. So again, like kind of come back. So my mother spent the last few years and she was independent living and I used to go and visit her and I was always giving out little samples of uh, my favorite, the Healing Rose CBD bomb. So people would put it on their hands and then ask me for the next thing, like an entryway drug. So what do you suggest your friends try when they're asking about how this works and what they could use to help whatever ailments they have? I have uh, become a, a secondary source. I mean, I buy it. And then when friends come to visit in Rhode Island, what I encourage them to do is I say, look, look, you can take like two drops, mm -hmm. you know, just start small. And as you get more comfortable, you'll find at what point in the dropper is the right one for you. And I now have friends who have visited from a variety of states who call me up and say, oh, Gina, I'm about out. What am I going to do? And so I say, well, come visit and we will set off one of the dispensaries and make purchases. And so. I basically tell people that I found the way it worked for me and because of the way it is designed and the various configurations, whether I now take double nighttime, but I say to people, you can start on something lesser and see how you do, figure out what works for you and enjoy. Enjoy. So, That's good. No, I guess I'll say Peter. So I know you're in Rhode Island and Massachusetts. Again, this is a tinctures that has THC in it, which is different. Some of the tinctures people might be seeing out there. And again, never buy any products at the gas station. So where can they find these products if they're interested in them? They can't be interstate mailed. So they actually have to go to a dispensary. Is that how it works? Yeah. So, the, well, so right now, the, you can find out where to get them. Well, you can get them all over Massachusetts. And we'll, we've been in Rhode Island and we COVID kind of stalled us out. And we're about where it's coming back later this year. But right now, if you just go to howls.com, there's a, you can find all the dispensaries where it is, where you can get it. And, and I mean, I, I just, I, I want to say that the hearing my mom's story is really inspiring also because they, the howls, the, the name of it is the sound a wolf makes. And it's kind of a, the, the wolf represents the, just all the patients and the, and the consumers, the people who've used it. And that, that the biggest blessing for it has been the connections and the relationships that have built out of it. And so like, and even just becoming closer with my mom, being able to, I probably kept you up sometimes at night when I was a teenager. So being able to now as an adult, be able to help you sleep is really rewarding feeling. So, so yeah. So I think that way that families can be able to just like, also like Wendy was talking about with her family and, and that this, and that as a plant and, that, and, and the nature itself and help people with that is just it's it was great to hear that it's just great to be on here and that, to hear that, that is such a, and these stories this will be released around mother's day it's such a great mother's day story again helping people that's the whole industry and coming back to the consumer 
I don't know how we're going to change the world, but these consumers, the people who are using these products who really are demanding things and working with people are getting what they needed. And that kind of brings us back to Wendy Kornberg, who's out in Humboldt, California, who's doing her work, making, creating products. So thank you, Peter and Gina. I really enjoyed that. I love having a uh, mother-son story. So thanks for joining us today. All right. So Wendy, we got some more time. We're only at 2004, but let's go ahead. <laughs> you want to find out more about her? She's got information out there. Um, how did you get back into what you're doing? What are you doing with the farmers out in Humboldt County? Um, I know you're doing like, pro again, and again, this industry is changing so quickly. And I know there's a lot of other issues going on out there, but you know, what is your bigger mission and what are you doing right now with the farmers and products out there? Yeah, well, it's lovely that this is coming out on Mother's Day because my mother is my partner and business partner and co-owner <laughs> in this business and still works on the farm with me as well. So it's very, very cool. And what we're doing right now, so we moved basically from, I moved back from Hawaii, back to Humboldt County and started growing for myself. And then a lot of my friends that I had around the area, especially down in the Bay Area, friends that were cancer patients, AIDS patients, HIV positive patients, mm -hmm. found out that I was cultivating and they were like, you can be my caregiver. Can you cultivate for me as well? Oh, wow. I was like, of course, I can. Lovely. This is great. So we kind of started into Proposition 215 Caregiving. And that just started increasing rapidly. And then we started being able to vent to dispensaries. And this was back in the day when you would literally make an appointment, you'd show up with bags of weed and they would either buy it or not. And oftentimes they would just send you out the door with your money. And sometimes you'd come back in two weeks and, and then farmer's markets started. So I was doing farmer's markets at Harvest on Mission and the other um, harvest shop in San Francisco and building the brand at that time without really realizing that that's what I was doing. I just knew that like Peter, I was kind of on a mission to help people and really quickly realized that, like you're saying, it's, it's, we always say cannabis is a gateway plant because once you grow a cannabis plant, you want to grow everything else too. And uh, I still believe that. And I also think that salves and tinctures are kind of like you're saying, it's the gateway entry to cannabis because it's not intimidating. A lot of people are like, I don't know how to roll a joint. I don't want to smoke something. It's not discreet. I'm not comfortable with this yet. But oh, a cream? Well, I can put that on. Oh, a tincture? Okay, I can I can do that. And then realizing how beneficial it is and realizing that like all these, like I said, like I didn't realize I was a medical patient for a really long time until I didn't have access to my medicine anymore. And then it was like, all, oh, my endometriosis was so bad. I was in the hospital. Like this is crazy that something as simple as exposure to a plant my, pretty much my whole life would have staved off the pain much like what Peter was saying, right? His eye pain was super bad and it's still there, but it's manageable. And so with my endometriosis, it was like I was still in pain, but it was manageable much more so than the Vicodin, which I couldn't function on. So yeah, so basically back in California, started cultivating in Sirius, started cultivating for other other patients and uh, and then started realizing that like if these tinctures and topicals helped me so much with my problems, like it'd be lovely to have that as a supplemental thing to offer to people. So started doing all the booths and the festivals and introducing people to it and just being so excited about how many things that helped. Like there was a point in time where I was like, oh my gosh, what's, what problem do you have? I swear to God, I have the answer. <laughs> people be like, I'm like, if not snake oil, but it kind of seems like it because just about everything out there can be cured with cannabis. It's crazy. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and then starting to get the science behind it to support it and be like, look, see, I told you guys, I told you guys. <laughs> right. It's not a belief system. It's a science. So, all right. So you're out there, you're doing your thing. And now you're in the legal cannabis world. There's been a lot of changes since 1977. 
California got their whole <laughs> slew of problems. But I don't know. What was sort of the transition for you like and uh, what's happening in 2023? Where are you with your branding and who are you working with? That sort of thing. Yeah. So the transition from caregiving and Proposition 215 into Proposition 64, even Four, right. into legal caregiving was was it was a slow transition for that. It was like slowly figuring out that this is safe to do and slowly kind of working with more patients and then realizing that like, I'm really proud of what I do. And I really kind of wanted to show that off a little bit more. And it was actually in 2016, I entered the Emerald Cup for the first time ever, which is this massive contest on the West Coast, mainly for sun grown at the time. And, and now they have other categories, but we entered two flowers and placed ninth, 17th and 9th them out of 658 entries. So that was pretty mind blowing. And at that point, that was kind of my first step into like publicly putting my name on something and, and hoping that maybe it would win. But at that point, I had no idea. And my sister actually posted on Facebook, my sister just killed it at the Emerald Cup. She took 17th and 9th in the flowers category, Mr. Power, whatever it was. And I was like, oh, and she put, posted my picture. I was beat red because it was like, so excited and surprised and like I was like oh my god this is like literally going to change my whole world this is crazy I can't believe it and so she she posted on Facebook and I was like oh no uh, because like I my parents knew I think I mean I assume everybody assumed the same type of thing but like it still wasn't comfortable to me to be out of the mm-hmm. cannabis closet and so at that point also we had our medical ordinance happening in Humboldt County and so like I signed my name to some government papers so everything snowballed from then it was just like crash course into like like all right you're proud of this guess what we are going to drop kick you right into the midst of it and just do it so I kind of went from like this is something we are ashamed of even though we shouldn't be and we don't talk about it and we we try and figure out how to share information without really sharing information into some pretty serious advocacy, working with my government, going into my county building and planning, talking to board of supervisors meetings and trying to really help them craft this ordinance as we went down this road, trying to figure out how do we regulate something that is a federally illegal substance, even in our county. And then 64 happened and our county actually set us up really well for our state regulations because they were so heavy on the requirements. It wasn't just like pay us some money and we're going to rubber stamp this. It was like, no, you have to have proven this and you have to say this is for pre-existing gardens. So you are going to admit that you were doing this prior to us saying you could do it. And you're going to say that it's OK for us to give this information over to the government. We get subpoenaed. It's going to them. So you have to be OK with that. And you have to sign up for a notice of discharge with the water board. You have to be OK with paying these fees and you have to be OK with doing this. And we're going to come out. And we're going to look at you. And we're going to inspect. Right. We're going to we're going to we're going to we're going to. And. It was very daunting and nerve wracking at the beginning. So you're working with people just getting them into the industry. And um, what are you finding and what are they afraid of? And what are you succeeding? What's working? Well, and I I wasn't really working with people to get them into the industry. I was working kind of with the building and planning and giving them feedback and how to kind of do things. I had a lot of people asking me, like, what do I do? What do I do? Should I do this or not? What do you think? And I'm like, "I, I literally cannot make that decision for you. You have to be able to weigh these risks and decide what you want to do. For me, I was already posted on Facebook and it was out there and I signed my name and the water board had sent us a letter saying, we see that you're growing cannabis. If you're going to do this, you have to do a discharge waiver with us or shut your shut your operation down. So I figured if one arm of the government knows, you might as well just tell them all. So 
like I said, we we kind of had the decision made. Shush, chicken. We had the decision made. Can't make this Sorry. Stuff up. We have chickens and cats and God knows she really is in Monroe County. It's a farm. <laughs> it's a farm. So we had the decision made for us pretty much by being told that it was either stop or go all in. Yeah. So basically the the people around here, a lot of people were like, is we don't trust the government. That's part of the reason we moved to Humboldt County and out into the middle of nowhere and to be back to the landers was to get away from all of this rigmarole. And my advice was always just you you have to figure out what you want to do. If you want to stay in the traditional market, then don't sign your name to anything. Just take a lane and stick with it. Uh, but if you're like me and the government has already said, we know you're doing this, then I, I don't see how you can choose to, st- to stay in that market and think you're going to make it through. They are going to come down on people, which, of course, they did. And uh, yeah. And so basically what's happening now is it's been a really long road. Proposition 215 from prohibition through medical days was it was slow. We were able to build and get our feet under us each step of the way. Mm-hmm. And with recreational, it has just been like, oh, that lovely rug you were standing on is swept out from underneath you and you're on a trap door and it's opening and you're falling and you have no idea where you're going to land. And so it's it's been the last five years have been really interesting in that it's like it almost seems like at the beginning people are like, oh, when they made it so difficult and the entire industry collapsed and they allowed a loophole for large scale to come in right away and just basically pulverize the legacy cultivators that have been doing this since the 60s and 70s. Everybody said, that's a conspiracy. And I went, there's no way this is a conspiracy. But after many years now and looking back, I'm like, man, I don't know that they made a conspiracy. Like, I don't know it was intentional, but I do kind of feel like the regulations and policy were written to kind of thumb their nose at the legacy growers. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't, I mean, again, California is a very interesting area. And again, we talk a lot about policy work, which you've gotten involved with. Our government does a lot of bad things by policy, like just the entire government is set up. So again, money in this industry is an issue. We all know it's an issue and who's whispering in the ears of the politicians and people making Mm -hmm. it. I mean, you're out there doing your thing for your people, which is so encouraging, which is what I see the women of this industry doing. I don't know how we change old white men's attitudes, but... (laughs) Well, we'd change it with the almighty dollar. It's it's yeah. very simple, actually. It, it's yeah. a matter of we understand that the corporations hold all the power, but it's because we give it to them. Right. You stop buying from those corporations, it changes their paradigm. Monsanto right. opened up an organic arm because all of a sudden they saw they were losing money because people were getting interested in organic fertilizers. And so, so they okay. went, well, geez, maybe we That's should do that. But let's get in on that. All right. So let's come back to the consumer, which I talk about a lot. So I had someone talk the other day about building the NRA of cannabis, like actually getting the sort of power that the NRA has, but with cannabis people and consumers and businesses small, like rising up against the big industry. So what are you doing? What's your specific focus? And what do you see, I guess, in a minute or less? <laughs> okay, <laughs> what is, so what is the power you're going to have in this industry? Because I can see you've got something going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that I am really focused on now is educating consumers. And I can't do that alone. So I'm on something called the Gangier Council, which is a sommelier course, if you will, for cannabis. And we have had, this is, we're going into our third year now of having live training with students. There's an online portion, a live training portion, and then this really crazy exam you have to pass to become a certified Gangier. And it is an official trade certification for cannabis. So it's pretty big deal. Um, Yeah. We've had amazing students come through and they're from all over the world. We've had students from Germany, from Chile, from um, Argentina, I believe, 
Canada, all over the United States. And uh, they come and they learn. And they basically part of this education is the consumption of cannabis at a connoisseur level and what that means. And a lot of that is like, look, you can't have large scale grows that are going to hold this beautiful quality that is this high end. That's going to come from your small cultivators. It comes from your mom and pop. It comes from the people that are dedicated to the plant. And so the idea being that, and, and it's holding true also, it's not just something we're pitching and like trying to spin and make it biased, like the numbers come through. There's an actual number grading system. And these sun-grown cultivators and the small cultivators, the people that are taking the time and the care to give each plant personal attention are coming out on top. So we see that there is definitely a lot of consumers out there that are wanting products that are done at a, a higher level. And then we're also finally this year, we are able to start manufacturing our products again. So we're hoping to start getting those into dispensaries across California. That would be our topicals and tinctures. And I, I love formulating. Like I said, anybody who has a problem, I'm like, what's your problem? I want to solve it with weed. <laughs> hey, that's a peanut thing too. So we're on the same boat. All right. Um, yeah. We did not even get to the can of parenting, but we know you're a mom in this world. And um, Five kids. <laughs> You have five kids, so come back if you want to learn more. All right, uh, let's see. I think we're done. Wendy, I'm so happy that we finally got a chance to speak. Let's talk about how do people connect with you. They reach out to you if they're in Humboldt County, if they want to connect with your organization, your work. How do they reach you? You can find me at online at www.sunabis.com. That's our brand, like Sun Roan Cannabis. You can also reach me on Instagram under Sunabis. I'm not on Facebook that often, but I, I think I have it set to like auto post on there as well as on Twitter. And then Wendy at sunabis.com if you need to email. But generally, direct messaging on Instagram is the fastest way to get a hold of me. And if you're in California, we do have product at Mercy Wellness and Cotati under their Sungrown line. And coming up very soon here, now that we finally have packaging, we will have branded product in dispensaries starting in Los Angeles and I believe the Bay Area. All right. Wendy Kornberg doing her bit, using her voice, changing this industry from the 70s to now. She probably couldn't imagine this as a little girl, but look at you. So thank you, Wendy, <laughs> for joining us. And that's another show. So for my guests, Wendy and Peter, and of course, his mom, Gina, and my Canna bro, David Jazz, and our Canna Mom Show team, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Canna Mom Show, where we're on a mission to enhance the impact women have on the emerging cannabis industry by sharing and preserving their stories of love, kindness, wisdom, and hope. Thank you for following and subscribing and sharing the stories of the inspiring women who are building this new industry so together we can crush the stigma around cannabis and caregivers. I'm your host, Joyce Gerber. This is The Cannon Mom Show, and we are a production of Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Cannabis Health Radio is a podcast about stories from people around the world who abused cannabis to deal with serious ailments, many of them life-threatening. My name is Ian Jessup. My co-host, Corey Yelland, is no stranger to the devastating emotional impact faced by so many people receiving a death sentence diagnosis from a doctor. Told she only had months to live with anal canal cancer, Corey researched and immediately began using cannabis oil to eliminate her cancer and has been cancer-free for more than a decade. She told herself that if it worked, 
She would spend the rest of her life helping others, which she does tirelessly every day. When you listen to our podcast, you'll hear many stories like Corey's, along with others who have used cannabis oil for many more ailments besides cancer, such as chronic pain, PTSD, MS, and many, many more. As one of our guests said, your podcast gave me the confidence to save my own life. We regularly get messages from listeners who have heard our podcast and use cannabis to solve a serious health issue of their own or that of a loved one. We hope you listen to these stories and be as inspired and moved as we are with each and every episode.